Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Rolling with Disadvantage, the D&D podcast where we won't be playing D&D. You guessed it, I am your host, Tyler. And I am your thankful, grateful, fucking ecstatic co-host, Till. Socially distant co-host, Till. Yeah, very far away. But... Yes. Happy. If you're new to the show, welcome, first of all. Uh, Rolling at Disadvantage is our podcast where we argue, debate, and scream into the void. Scream, but not right now, because I'm happy. You're in the void. About various aspects of D&D 5th Edition, feel free to join the conversation by tweeting us at RWD Podcast. You're happy. Why are you so happy? You know, I got somebody in my life right now somebody that, that is giving me life, that is making me happy. Is it Amy One thing that we ask every fucking week feedback feedback questions we get feedback comments, periodically love but it's never as enthusiastic as the feedback we received recently oh my god shout out i don't have his email address on this but to you don't want to say his email address maybe i do he wants love isaac isaac, isaac uh, moreno. moreno my dude or girl whatever you are he didn't specify but or non-binary gender, you know, whatever you choose to be, you gender are my person. Doom. You are my person right now. Thank you yeah, so Isaac much. Yeah, Isaac sent a very passionate and very excited email to us, so thank you very much um, just saying how much he loves the show and something that he wants to hear about, um, a couple points. And he said we're, that we are his favorite podcast, which, you know what, that is heartwarming. That touches my cockles. I'm glad you added that extra syllable on there. Never in my life. Did I think that I would be someone's favorite podcast? No. Right? No. No, I thought I'd be somebody's third choice when they're on the subway. I'm I'm like a person that you listen to in your car while you're driving to work. Not really paying attention to the sound, but what's happening in front of you. Yeah, but apparently we are some people's favorite. So thank you very much, Isaac. Um, we're going to touch on a couple things that you want to talk about You today. get a segment, sir. We're going to call then, it Isaac's segment. And then we have a plan for the second half related to... Uh, current events from last week, um, when you're listening to this, it would have been the publication of the Sage Advice Errata. Elton John's song. You know, your song, this one's for you, Isaac. What? Okay. Oh, we should also talk about um, spiritual... What's the healing? Uh, healing spirit. We'll get to that. Healing spirit, yes. I, yes. I think it's part of the Errata. And also, also part of the Errata. We'll get to a lot of stuff... A lot of shit, a lot of fun things. But first, what, what makes want to hear about? a good D&D player? That was, there are three topics that we're going to go through down here to, to answer Isaac's questions and get our opinions on it. Tyler, I, I pass it to you. <clears throat> what makes a good D&D player? I think um, I, it's a really great question because there's no, I don't think there's a right answer to this question. He put good in parentheses. Yes. To be clear. So all we can really offer is, you know, my wife asked me yesterday or two days ago, she's like, how long have you been DMing? So all I can offer is roughly 19 years of doing this mm-hmm. as what's a good player. Um, I think a good player is someone whose goal is to have fun mm-hmm. and they are not trying to win. Okay. Like, in, a, in the most basic sense possible, I think that's what it comes down to. Okay. Now, so there's plenty of nuance what, what around What do you mean by there. win? What do you mean? 
They're that not. They don't. Is. They don't think that I'm out to get them, and they don't. They're not there to outsmart and beat me as the DM. I think you bring up a very important point there, and something we've touched on before. We've touched on it a bit before, but I think this gives us a good chance to really dive into it, and that is that I feel like there's this general emotion that PCs and DMs are opposed they are fighting each other and that's not the case don't get me wrong i am trying to kill you 100 percent, you are <laughs> but that's because you are the world and the world is trying to kill the pcs period actively yes you now know? uh and i think that's to summarize what i think makes a good player is you are working in tandem with the other players you're working in tandem with the dm and you honestly let's be honest you're working in tandem with your own character mm-hmm. to to tell a shared story and have fun Yes, and I think you hit the nail right there with that point on what I was going to say. Um, I think what makes a good D&D player, and you know, obviously you've been a DM for 70% of the time we've been playing. I've been a player for 70% of the time we've been playing. From a player perspective, I think what makes a good D&D player is somebody that is invested in their character and contributing to the shared story that everyone's telling. Shared story. Great, great, great phrase. It is a shared story, right? It's not my story. It's not your story. It's it's the five, six, seven, three, two of you at the table. Exactly. You know, whoever's playing, uh, and anyone that has a character that doesn't have a story, that, in my opinion, is someone that's doing it wrong. It's a wasted you, opportunity. It's a wasted opportunity. This character is not just in existence so that you can roll dice and kill things and beat the DM. Right. If that's the reason that you're playing this game... Go play Yahtzee. (laughs) I was going to say play a video game or something. But yes, just reevaluate why you're playing this game. Yahtzee got dice. Yahtzee. I know somebody that if you start shaking some Yahtzee dice, they will run over and they will peer at your table. But (laughs) nonetheless... This is a chance for you to be a part of an epic story. Yeah. It's, that's not a chance you get in your day-to-day life. No. Um, you know, in all fairness to anyone that plays the game or just lives in general, 99.99% of us live mundane, normal, probably, you know, not too bad lives. Yeah. But mundane. Emphasis on mundane. None of us are sorcerers or warlocks, or fighters, or paladins. None of us have magic. None of us walk around with swords, and bows, and crossbows, and quarterstaffs, and martial arts. And Hey, Chris Angel's a warlock. Well, he's a something. But the point is that we all have these fairly normal lives, no matter how extravagant or, or, or you know, simple it may be. You're never going to be a tiefling. You're never going to be a tiefling. You're never going to be a turtle monk. You know, you're never going to be an ASMR paladin unless your name is Matt Tatum. You know, you're never going to be these things. It's going to be so mad. <laughs> so, so enjoy it while you can and add to the world that this character that you've made, obviously you have an interest in the character, otherwise you wouldn't have made it in the first place. Add to the world that is put in front of you by the DM. So I do want to spend a little bit on... So that that's the general picture, right? What about specific qualities that someone, not just a DM... Like, it says... I just question, what makes a good 
D&D player. I think that also includes the DM, right? Yes, That's not 100%, just the player absolutely. characters. So what qualities can someone coming to the game have that makes them a good participant in the game? Um, I would say a focus on the game, especially while you're playing. Shut up, we're playing a game. Exactly. <laughs> you have to avoid interruptions. You have to invo- avoid any kind of distractions. And but not to the detriment on... of fun. This is where I disagree with you a little bit, because you take that a little se- more seriously okay. than I do. Okay. Because you you push it. I'm not saying you do. You push it towards the detriment of other things. But if if you are engaged in an activity and something happens and it reminds your group of a shared experience outside the game and you break off into a side conversation about that anecdote and you're all laughing, that's that's not bad. Okay. You disagree. You think uh, you should have to talk about only Dungeons and Dragons and playing Dungeons and Dragons? I think that what listen, if if you and you and I, our group meets for four hours every other week, we meet for four hours every what, what's what's a week? Biweekly. I can't. Yeah, I can't do the math though on the number of hours. Twenty four. Oh, one hundred and forty eight. Oh, one hundred sixty eight. I'm sorry. 168 hours. Okay, fine. Yeah. So for four hours, every 168 hours, can we just please focus on the game? Is but that what, so much what to ask? What other activity do you engage in where you, you have to only talk about that activity? What other activity do I, do I do where I only do it for four hours every 168 hours? I don't know, like going to a sporting event or when we went to when we used to go to trivia. No, nope, I love like... it. Sporting event. I love it. Great example. When I go to a baseball game or a football game or a soccer game or a hockey game, I don't sit there and talk about my work week and the fun anecdotes that may have come from it. I talk about hockey or football or baseball. I Maybe think that something makes you related. I think it makes you unique. Okay, well. I think I think it's almost expected that if you go those Though when you go to those things, you're not just talking about what the content is in front of you. Otherwise, you might as well just be at, at home in front of the TV. Like, you're there to be with each other. So No, you're, you're, no, you're there to be in the moment. I'm not disputing a, a, ne- a necessitating focus. I'm just not saying focusing to the detriment of having fun. I, I, I'll say, I've said it before. I'll say it again. My number one criterion of a successful session of Dungeons & Dragons is it was fun. First. Full stop. It's probably the first, second, and third measurements of success. And if, and if you know, that means that the bard or whoever it is, he finds the audio of that stupid parrot singing down with the sickness, and we all get a laugh out of that for a couple minutes, and that's not explicitly focused on Dungeons & Dragons. It's just a silly video of a parrot. Fine. Your silence tells me that you're mad at me and you disagree. No, I, I don't dispute it. I just wish that the bard would have taken some time and come up with something on their own. So, <laughs> and that's funny. Um, I would like to add a related point that I think you can agree with. Go. And that is a for the necessary foreknowledge to play your role. Oh my God! Read your fucking character, dude. <laughs> if you are a, if you have any ability to cast a spell and you have a spell in your repertoire and you don't know how it works, go fuck yourself. Okay, again, you're taking it a little farther than I would. A little farther. I'm, that's, that's, that's me. I spend a lot of time. You spend a lot of time working on the game. I spend a lot of time working on the game. I work as a PC and a DM. Right. I I know what it takes. I understand that people have things that are not D&D, but knowing how to play your character, I'm not asking you to play any other character, but to just play your character shouldn't be that hard. 
Right? Like, if you ask me as a DM, I'm not going to tell you what every spell does, right? So I wouldn't hold no, a DM to that ridiculous. standard. Yeah. If you are a cleric who can prepare any spell from the list, I'll, I would hope that you at least know where the spell is so you can pull up the information when you need it. Or that you prepare it? Yes, you prepare. So the necessary foreknowledge, it might be, oh, I've memorized all my spells, or it might be, oh, I have the spell cards, or it might be, I know where to look to find the information. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be just willy-nilly wandering around. Oh, I don't know what this does. Right? Something that was honestly one of my least favorite things, and I'm, I'm actually in quarantine, obviously, there is an abundance of time. Uh, I, I'm going through good old Crit Roll Season 1 again. People would cast spells and have no idea what they do. Yes. And that, that, to me, that irks me. Because I know that everyone else is putting in the time and effort to make this a game that everyone contributes to. And it's like if you're writing a fucking paper in school and one person decides I'm not going to do my section. Yeah. Or they it do a section and it's, and it's just shit. It tanks everything. Yeah, so I, I do want to say this is our conversation right now is kind of both what is good and bad D&D player, let's be honest. Yes, um, oh no, we're doing we're, so his second point was what makes a bad D&D player and I think we are emphasizing yeah. kind of the both. So if we had to sum up what makes a good player, I would say it's somebody that um, puts effort into their... I think effort is the right word, in my opinion. Effort into the campaign. Whether it's your... Whether you're DM or PC, you're putting effort forward into making it a good experience for everyone and not just for yourself. And I even feel like players... You know, it's people we, who we might play with who were new to the game a while ago are much better at these things than they were once upon a time. 100%. 100%. Yes. Totally agree. So I'm glad uh, to see... Because if you're playing with someone... You were a part of the campaign where I had uh, two of our party members currently were brand new, never played 5th edition before. One had played 3.5, but this was their first 5e campaign, and one person had never played the game at all. That was a hilarious time. Oh. <laughs> but that doesn't make them bad players. That, that's no, my point. New no. players can't be held to these standards. Absolutely not. And that's why I say effort. Yeah. Effort varies depending on how long you've played the game, how long, how well you know the game, you know, how much information you have to absorb. Just put forth the effort into whatever part of the campaign you can control. Because there's things to, uh, out of your control. So. I do want to direct anybody who's listening who wants to, who wants evidence as what makes a bad D&D player, there is a subreddit called RPG Horror Story. Oh, God. That's for you. <laughs> if you just want to spend a little while like, okay, now this is what I shouldn't do, just go there. Just go there and read about how people want to reenact their rape fantasies in their D&D campaigns. Oh, my God. So I think that goes in the bad player. No, no, no pretend raping your fellow players. So it's right, it's right there. I think you bring up an excellent point in t today's, specifically today's, society where we are all distancing ourselves and more and more people are turning to online resources to play the game yes i feel like there's a higher chance for people to run into situations where they are oh, yeah. not comfortable so many people i've seen on twitter talking about they played their first online dnd session ever with strangers you are you that that is a, a bold move 
and it could be a troublesome one. Yes. I, I uh, Just with that, again, I think you need to understand just because people suck in the world doesn't mean that everyone sucks in the world. So if you have a bad experience online, give it another chance is what I think my ultimate point. Well, it might be with different people, but yeah. Well, hundred, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Never ever. If you ever have a single bad experience with anybody that you don't know on a very personal level, don't ever associate with them again. The very common refrain on the D&D in the community in, on Twitter and Reddit is no D&D is better than bad D&D. If you're having bad D&D, leave that group and move on to another one or a different game even. Like, don't let bad D&D ruin it for you. I, I will say this right now. If you have a bad D&D session and you decide, I never want to do this again, and you're listening to this right now, send us an email. I will run a one-shot for you and your friends anytime, anywhere. Don't do it. 100%. Uh, I, I would absolutely, I'm sure that my co-host here would be happy to participate. Would I? But just so that, yes, but just so that you can Only understand like that edgelord rogue. normal fun D&D exists, I'm happy to run at any time, just there's no reason that one bad session should turn you off from it altogether. It's a great so game, that's all I need to say about that. Yes, so I think that, that establishes, I think my third and final point of what makes a good D&D player is... Everybody at the group, everybody at the table, DM players, everybody has established very clearly, or at least clear enough, this is how I'm playing the game, and this is what I want to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Like no one, there's no surprise twist of, of, if, you know, I, I use this example again. There's no surprise twist of frustrated sexual fantasy that just shows up. There's no surprise twist of I'm going to steal all this stuff from my fellow players like whoa man we didn't establish that this was a PvP campaign like establishing your expectations and your desires up front yes Uh, especially if it's new players like we we know each other when we're playing so we have a general idea of where we're all coming from right if one of our players suddenly whip one of these things out I'm like wait a minute that's a surprise because I've known you for a long time I didn't know you did wait a minute Exactly. So I think that's the, my final thing is a good, not a good D&D player, but a good D&D group has communication about what they expect. Open and honest communication. Yes. about That's what, that's what makes a good D&D group. Well, it makes a good friendship in general, I think. Yes. It's a good communication about anything, really. Yes. Absolutely. Even, even about boats. <laughs> you had to work it in there, didn't you? I, I have to. Um, all right. So the third thing that Isaac wanted to talk about um, you, uh, is actually, I think, just going to be the intro for our next segment. I that Exactly. We'll, we'll preface it before we go to the break, and then we'll get right into it after the break. The question being, why I'm, – I'm reading it word for word. Why the fucking hell hasn't Wizards of the Coast made – a revised Ranger Cannon, and we will get back to you in just a minute with that. We'll be right back. Alright, we're back. Why the fucking hell hasn't Wizards of the Coast made revised Ranger Cannon yet? This is and a fantastic I, question. I... I got two words to answer it. Are you ready for those two words? Yes. Adventurers League. Interesting. Not two words I expected. I know it wasn't. 
But for the Adventures League is something that D and D Wizards of the Coast strives to promote because it encourages a lot of new players. And it money. encourages a lot of money because people are buying new content regularly. Hasbro is an expensive stock to buy. It, that is true. Tyler, can you please explain probably the most basic tenant of playing in an Adventurous League game that we currently use in our campaign? Oh, the two-book rule? Two-book rule. Yeah. Player's Handbook and one other. Player's Handbook plus one. The reason that they have not made, and this is my opinion, obviously I have no proof of this, the reason they have not made a revised Ranger canon is because they would have to put it in a completely different book, or they would have to reprint the entire player's handbook to get it in there. But that's why the errata exists. But again, errata for specific issues or concerns is one thing. To fix a spell... Like, uh, I think we're going to talk about Healing Spirit in a little bit. But to adjust one small thing is is understandable. To make an entire different class, you can't do that in errata. That has to be a new book entirely. Yeah, but if it's never going to happen, according to the logic you're giving me, it's never going to happen, you might as well print a six-page document of, all right, this is official material that works as an addendum to the player's handbook, and counts as using the player's handbook. But then it requires people to have that addendum whenever they use that class. To fucking get good, people. Use it, get a printer, write it down, get a screenshot on your phone, tape it into your player's handbook. They don't want people to do that, I think is my point. It doesn't get them anything to do this. And I think that's why they're doing it. Do you have a different reasoning why they might not be doing it? Laziness, mostly. They're going to include it in the Sionics book. It'll be great. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they're there's. Why did I say laziness? They're not setting aside like okay, Jim game designer. You know what you're going to work on this week? Revised Ranger. But wait a minute. But we've got these books coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about the the book that's coming out that people are going to spend fifty dollars on uh, and give us millions of dollars. You go ahead and work on the Revised Ranger that gains us nothing. I think that's mm-hmm. what it comes down to. That's yep. that's where I'm at. Yep. Is, I'm with is you there. It, it's a it's it's a low ROI on uh, fixing it. Yep. But th- this this was the moment, though, right? We got a new errata. It's not really a errata. I keep calling it that. It's more of a compendium of yes. clarification. Yes, yes. That's exactly what it is. Um, there actually was some errata that went out. Uh, I think we should t- talk just touch on the biggest thing with that first. There were a couple things in there. But the biggest thing that changed was the healing spirit spell. Yes. Um, can, you, can you go ahead and just dive into that a bit? They, the big change from Healing Spirit is that it has a hard cap on how much it can heal. Which that, that, is, do you uh, remember that off the top of your head? It's a number of times it's, equal to your ability, plus, cast, ability modifier. One plus, plus one? your ability modifier. Right, exactly. as opposed to being able to just cast it, it heals and 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 heals for what, it 10 removed, minutes? Was there 10 minutes or is it a minute? It, it, it's a minute. It's, it's a minute. 10 rounds. 10 so rounds essentially, uh, people were calling it the conga line heal. Because yes. you would just get everybody in your party in a line, and you just run through it every six seconds to heal out of combat. It was effectively a quick full, full heal combat. Or if you cast a third level, 20d6, etc., etc. So yes, out of combat, there's never a reason that anyone should not have full healing. So now it's the spirit can heal a number of times equal to one plus your ability casting, or spell casting ability modifier, minimum of twice. After healing that number, spirit disappears. So if it heals everybody in your party, say you have four people, and your ability score is three. 
Yep. That's it. Exactly. It's done. You're done. Everybody so got to do it one time. Somewhere between four and six on average. Are there things that can push your wisdom above? Yeah, I think it'd be wisdom because I think yeah. only druids and rangers can uh, cast this. Druids and rongers, correct? Yeah. So, could you get your wisdom above uh, twenty? Yes, but very difficult to do. So on average, you're going to have between four and six casts of this. Four it and was six really funny because I saw this and I sent this to you guys. They didn't say they were making this change. Somebody just got their new player's handbook and went to Healing Spirit and was like, what the fuck? And, put, and posted it online on April 1st, on April's Fool's Day. Yes. A lot of people were like, wait a minute, that's not real. No, for reals, guys, it's real. I swear to God, I'm not a joke. <laughs> and I, I sent it everybody I, I sent it out to uh, my Monday D&D group. Uh, one of the guys looked at it. He does a lot of, um, a lot of digital work, a lot of Photoshop, a lot of Adobe works. Like, this is fake. And he looked at it. He's like... If this is photoshopped, this is the best fucking photoshop I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's for it's real. It's real and it's a change. It it's a huge nerf, let's be honest. It is, and I think it's a very important one. Yes. Go on. Expand on that. Uh anything that can heal infinitely in my opinion is wrong because theoretically there is no cap on the number of creatures that can get healed every 6 seconds. Again, that conline theory doesn't limit it to a party. If there's a group of people, you know, trying to run through it, there's nothing in the game that says only 10 people or creatures can act in six seconds. Everybody gets a turn in a round of combat. So if you're able to position everybody running in a particular pattern, you could get dozens, if not hundreds of people to run through it every every six yeah. seconds. Theoretically, up to, you know, I, I think the limit would be depending on your speed, because obviously, you know, you're making this elliptical so your speed limit is probably 60 unless you're a small creature and then it's 50 but well, you have to move at least one space so to 55 so 11 yeah. so 11 people running but you could stagger it oh yeah to go two different directions uh-huh so it could be like it could be it could be dozens of people <laughs> there's, yes. there's some weird math yes. involved yes there there is definite limits but now there is a very simple Simple yeah, because if you if you do that, you say you say you healed twenty people every round for a minute, right? Two hundred yeah. heals, two hundred d sixes of healing yeah. for a second level spell. That's that's stupid. Now that's it's unacceptable. Now it's probably four or five d sixes. Yes, it'll be four, five, six at the tops, and that's I think it. That Still the, the great at a second nerf. level spell. It, it's you're you're talking. This is a fraction of what it was before. And I think that that's a, in my opinion, a great job by Wizards of the Coast to acknowledge something that they did that was not well tested and something that they had to fix. And they yeah. did it. And I appreciate that. I, I would agree. Um, I'm going to go to the, the 2020 errata and flip through this while we... I'll say real quick, while, while we are moving on, we should definitely get on to the errata that came out. Uh, not even the errata, but just the... The Sage Advice Compendium? The Sage Advice, yeah, exactly. Sage Advice Compendium. Um, I think there's a lot of great clarification in here. Um, was there anything that really stuck out to you? As um, only that, that we were on the right side of history for a lot of stuff. Okay, like what? Were any good examples? Um, the now, now, now I'm not going to come up with it. Um, Dragonborn Sorcerer, right? Multiple bloodlines. We talked yep. about that. Yeah. Um. You were you were you know spot on with your discussion of sneak attacks. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, talking about reckless attacks for 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 barbarians. 
uh, talking about druid wild shapes. Like, there's a lot of things that we've talked about and had discussions on that are very being very clarified in this. Again, we've used um, uh, Jeremy Crawford's tweets as evidence, and that's essentially what this is. Yes, is a is a it's a congregation of tweets. Something that I think that I know that I've been messed that that not I but we have been messing up Monday my Monday group. And I am 99.99% sure that we've been messing up just in general. Saving throws. What about them? I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I am almost 100% sure that we consider a 1 an automatic fail and a 20 automatic success on saving throws. I, I do, but that's a house rule. Okay. Did not think that was a house rule. Thought that was an actual rule. Missed that apparently this entire time. Yeah. <laughs> Why do we do that? That's that's silliness. Why would we make that house rule if it's not a rule? Because it feels good, man. Well, this this is the thing that I wanted to talk about. I don't think we should do that anymore. Why? Because there are plenty of builds, classes, races, etc. that eventually, just like any skill get to the point where maybe they shouldn't fail on a lot of things. Like, a rogue eventually gets a deck save of plus, you know, 10, 11, 12. Just because they roll a 1 doesn't mean they should fail automatically. Like, if they're that good at something, they should probably just get the success automatically. Interesting. Well, you're you're welcome to bring it up at the next council meeting. Ah, very good, very good. But yeah, that was the thing that, that when I read that, I'm like, God, I feel like I've always played the saving throws and attack rules. Ones are fails, twenties are successes. Yeah, it's pretty explicit in in the fifth edition that one in twenty only affects attack rolls. The um, thing that I really want to bring up though is that if ones and twenties are not necessarily automatically their successes, or if they are, should there be additional penalties and consequences on skill checks? And saving throws that get ones and twenties. Like if you have to make a deck save for half damage and you roll a natural twenty, should you take no damage? Maybe you had a feat of brilliance and you somehow avoided all of it. Whereas if you roll one, maybe you take double damage. I don't know. I mean, I think that's the that's the feeling in the one being a failure and twenty being success, is it feels exceptional. It feels exceptional one way or the other. But in reality, logically, rationally a number 20 isn't any different than a number 19, right? You had a 5% chance of rolling it. I was going to succeed either way. Why is the 20 special, right? That's kind of the argument in that a 20 shouldn't mm-hmm. be an amount of success. Like, you know, people don't do it on skill checks for a reason. I, You know, because I might be asking you to do something that's absolutely impossible and saying a 20 automatically succeeds doesn't work. Um, for a saving throw, though, I'm not asking you to do the impossible. I'm asking you to you know, succeed or not. It's only, it. you know, saving throws aren't meant to test the limits of reality. They're meant to help you avoid something generally. To that, I disagree wholeheartedly. Let's say that I have a character that has a negative two on their decks. They are a heavy-armored, tanky motherfucker. And you ask them to make a deck save against a fireball that has a DC 19. They should never, ever be able to make that. But under your rules, they can with a 20. I didn't say... 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's there's a luck element involved. Why isn't that the same thing in skill? Even if it's impossible, even if it's physically impossible, because, why can't they do that in skill? What your example is not physically impossible. Yes, it is. They have a negative two on their deck save. Their max is an eighteen. That is physically impossible. No. Against a DC 19, it is physically impossible. No. Not if you have yes. a 20 being automatic success. That's, well, then why is there anything that isn't possible? Under those ideals, anything should be possible, no matter whether it's a skill check, there, saving throw, or attack. Because there are instances that tell you explicitly you automatically fail a saving throw. There's yes, and according to D&D rules, there are... Instances where you should not be able to succeed on a saving throw, right? Regardless of a one or a twenty. Yeah, and it says so. It says so yes. in the description of those things. Like a, a character who's who's um, paralyzed automatically fails uh, yes. dex and strength saving throws, right? But again, in the example I just gave, why should that person be able to succeed at all? Luck. But then, why is there no luck in skill checks? Because I just I already I've already explained it. The skill check is not a saving throw, right? They're both ability. Yes, yes, checks, I understand right? what you're saying. The saving throw is asking you to react to something, right? Usually mm -hmm. avoid it. A skill check is asking you to accomplish something specific. Yeah. It's very specific, right? So okay. I want to lift the cart. I want to yeah. uh, persuade this person. I want mm -hmm. to. Uh, rack my brain to come up with this knowledge, right? Yeah. If you're, if there's, if there's actual no way, by virtue of the story, that like your character could know a fact, it doesn't matter how high you roll. If I got a thirty-seven on my history check, you, there's, there's no luck involved. You just do or okay. you do not know this thing, yeah, right? That's fine. But if if a mind flayer hits me with a mind blast and I'm dumb, yeah, there's still a there's still a chance, like a a a a, a wit of intellectual whimsy that I'm like, I just, he, or he was unlucky, right? That I succeed. And that's where I disagree. I feel like it shouldn't be that way. There okay. should be situations okay. where people literally can't stop a mind flayer. Okay. You're welcome to bring there this up There should be situations tomorrow. where somebody literally can't stop a fireball. Like it's coming at them. They're not jumping out of the way. I'm a Four and a half foot dwarf with a six decks and full plate mail. I'm not jumping out of the way of a fireball ever. You're period. so strange. I don't understand you. You 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 want people to be punished, right? That's what you're coming. That's where it comes down to. You want to ensure that people are punished appropriately. But I can't no, cut I just, your fucking hand off. No, but I I just want it to be universal. Either there can be critical failures and critical successes, or there can't be. I think it's my point. But they're different. What that's you're comparing apples and oranges. They're You're different. saying that something that isn't possible can be possible if it's saved, but if it's a skill check, then no. I'm not, That's well, your argument. No, I never said yes. it wasn't impossible. I, and I gave you an example where it is impossible. Somebody literally does not have the dexterity to jump out of you the way. You gave me the math is impossible. Yeah. Okay, fine. Bring it up tomorrow, and if everybody agrees with you, then we'll change it. If you can get a majority to agree with you, we'll change it tomorrow. A majority of this group doesn't agree to anything, so Perfect. I don't know what you're hoping per for. I'm not. I'm not hoping for anything. If, you, if you, I get one other person, can that count? If you get, you have to get two other people. Ah, fuck! That's never gonna happen. You have to get two other people. If you don't think you can convince two of those four other people, I'm not even asking you for a majority. I'm asking you for a half because it's six of us. 
Yep. Nope. That's not gonna happen. Dan, I'm I don't out. know what to tell you. That means that you don't you that's don't have the, the persuasion skill necessary. To I make don't. This. See, see, no matter what I roll, I'm not gonna succeed here. Not on a skill you. check. No. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, because you know you're right. It's not. It's the at rules is written. You can't crit fail or succeed in these things. But from a from a uh, a saving throw perspective, it is. It feels good, man, to know. Oh my God. I'm got the only thing I can do is be incredibly lucky. And when that pays off, feels good, man. Whereas true, skill true. checks skill checks are almost almost ninety nine 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 percent of the time not a life death thing, right? Whereas a saving throw so often is. I don't know. That athletics jump when you're trying to yeah, jump that's, a chasm. That's why I that's why I say almost never, right? Because yeah, athletics like to escape a grapple or a jump, like that's the big ones. But my Persuasion, my intimidate, my history, my survival. Um, those those are almost never life or death. Whereas the dex saving throw against the fireball, the intelligence saving throw against the against the feeble mind, the the constitution saving throw against the poison, those those can kill you. Yes. So it's good to ha- so maybe it's just that you you like having that hope of a chance of a dream of not dying, even though you know mathematically it's impossible. So if I'm wandering through the wilderness that I'm unfamiliar with and I need to get out of there to live, that survival check should have a chance, right? I should have a chance of finding the oasis in the desert. But there's no oasis in the desert. Maybe there is. Maybe I'm just that good. Maybe that 20 is my luck. And I have found that oasis. I I'm I don't think people want to hear this anymore. You can you can convince if you can convince two party members, then you win. I'm just I'm just wondering. All right, what's the it's last thing you want to What's the last thing you want to talk about on this? That hey, that was my thing. What do you want to talk about? I just talked for like ten minutes. That was it. That was your main one. That was yeah. That was I sent you a message on. That. That's what I want to talk about. What oh, do you want to talk about? Nothing. <laughs> have, I, have I worn you down? Have yes. I won this? battle of words uh pretty much i do just... so the other thing in the errata that I, is good to talk about is uh surprise it very yes, clearly was defines it. there was one that surprise. i wanted to talk about yes. it, it wasn't surprise it was surprise and changing the, the turn order yes yes um, exactly it's very clear how how the surprise round works and we do that we do this correctly now our mm-hmm. party uses surprise correctly which i am super happy about yes but I want everybody to know who's listening. The way surprise works in 5th edition, there's no surprise round. That's not a thing. Like there used to be. Right. If you came from the old ways, there was a surprise round. There's not anymore. When one group or entity encounters another group or entity, if combat's involved, we roll initiative. If there are people within that group who are not aware of the other, those people are suffering the surprise condition, which ends at the end of their turn. Mm-hmm. So the initiative order happens. Guy who rolled a twenty, not surprised, he goes. Guy who rolled a seventeen, he was surprised, he loses his turn because of surprise. Next guy goes, and then in the next round, everybody gets to go. There's no surprise round. There's a surprise condition. Yes. So I think that's very clarifying in this. And somebody else even asked, um, "Can I like delay? Can you delay your turn? Can you delay your turn and take it later in the round?" No. Period. When it's your turn, you either do something or you don't. Yes, you can ready an action. And actually, let's finish talking about surprise rounds real fast. There are certain situations where you can uh, avoid being surprised. For example, a barbarian at a certain point 
can actually still take their turn on a surprise round if they have surprise condition as long as they rage first. I think it's like ninth level or 10th level or something where they get that Walking around mad all the time. Yes, where somebody jumped out of a bush and they may be about to attack you, but you get so mad at them surprising you that instead of running away, you get angry and attack them. The feral instinct, what is that? I think it's something like that. Um, no, that's, that's uh, oh yeah. Um, additionally, if you are surprised at the beginning of combat and aren't incapacitated, you can act normally on your first turn, but only if you enter a rage before doing anything else. So you don't have to be raging. You get an opportunity at seventh level Combat started, you're surprised. You say, you know what? I'm not. I'm raging first. Bonus action rage. Bonus action rage. I carry go on into my, my turn. turn. Right. Yes. So it's it's only limited by the fact that you might get exhausted or how many rages you have. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, at seventh level, the odds of you being surprised are almost none. None. Yes, exactly. And I think it's the point of a, of a barbarian who is always on the edge of his seat to fight. Yeah, pretty much. And I think there's some, um, some beasts and, and monsters who have a similar thing where you can't be surprised. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's other things. Uh, I think the alert feat keeps you from being surprised, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but what you were saying, actually, about readying actions, I think an important thing to clarify is you can ready an action on your turn and use it still during your turn. It just uses your reaction for the round. And I think that's very important to clarify. Interesting. For example, if I am in a battle, if I am a wizard in a battle against other wizards, and I've tried casting several spells, and every time I try, they counterspell the shit out of me. I see where you're going with this. If I find somewhere that I can take cover and hide from them so that they can't see me, you can take cover on your turn, ready your action, and make your action the next time I see wizards, I am going to cast Fireball. You can cast the spell, have it held as a rated action, and then spend the rest of your movement that turn coming out of hiding, and you will then cast it without them being able to counter it. Yes, that's essentially... You'll have used your action and reaction for the turn, but you'll be able to cast your spell without issue. And they can still respond in some way, like absorb elements or something like yes, that. Yes, yes, uh, 100%. But they just can't counter you at that point. Right, so there's ways of using it strategically... But the, the whole logic being you can't delay your turn because it messes with the way spells work or the way that combat has worked, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably something else you don't like about the first season of Critical Role is they would just drop their turns. Yes, yes. <laughs> and they would use actions and bonus actions outside of their turns, and yeah. yeah. I'm shaking my head for the listeners. It's ridiculous. But they figured it out. They actually do a great job these days with the combat. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're much better about it. But yeah, so if you haven't had an opportunity, people... Go to wizards.com and find the uh, Sage of Ice Compendium and the ph-arata.pdf. We, we tweeted out, too. Um, I, it might be not necessary. You can Google it. Um, and just, tweet it out. Just look for some stuff. Uh, see my what, first tweet see a what, long time. See what changes uh, speak to you, especially how do you feel about healing spirit, people. Um, thank you, Isaac, for your email. Isaac, you are my hero. You are um, the wind beneath my wings. Thanks to all of you who tweet and send us stuff, but, you know, none of you are as passionate as he is. Um, oh, wait, that's not true. Onslaught 6, you're also very passionate. Um, yes, Onslaught gets it. <laughs> that dude's constant. As usual, we learned and solved nothing. In fact, we got into an argument. Um, make sure to subscribe Which and rate the show. Which is good. That is how you advance it. ideals. 
Follow us on Twitter at RWD Podcast. Send us your topics you want to hear about uh, or your D&D rants at rwdpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, we will see you next time from quarantine. Till then.